What do I sound like? What do I sound like regular? With the uh, regular phrase, if we can't afford not to record. And we come in today's episode with a little bit of help. We've got some ideas of a direction for today. So we've got 10 questions here that kind of delve into the background of who we are. Okay. Yes. All right. And we'll try to get all 10 of them in within our 30 minute allotment. And I'll give the first warning that this is the non-beta episode. So this will be officially episode one. Okay. And the beta episodes were kind of us experimenting, seeing what the sound looked like. And I'm still not quite happy with my technical skills. So I'm going to chase after probably Corlin specifically, who ran um, cast therapy and is responsible for getting a microphone in front of us in the first place. Yes, yes. To help me out. With so shout out to cast therapy. Definitely shout Make out. Make sure you subscribe and like, as my kids <laughs> would say on the YouTube dad, you got to subscribe and like. But I don't like this guy that much. <laughs> I just wanted to watch the clip. We'll All right. Have to talk about that later. We digress. Question one. Okay. How has growing up as a military child shaped our perspectives and beliefs? Now, well, we, we need to give a background on that um, because we are military brats. Yes. Uh, father was an officer, retired a, as a lieutenant, lieutenant colonel. colonel. Uh-huh. We spent... My, my favorite story, though, I think to explain what kind of officer my dad is, because a lot of times people are like, oh, you must have been gun trained, at, but you must have been potty trained at gunpoint, you know, because you got a cold as a joke. dad. Heard that joke a lot. So <laughs> I'll be I'll, we're allowed to tell this, but he joined the military mm-hmm. to avoid the draft. So his brother got drafted. His other brother got drafted. He's in college and he gets into ROTC so he can stay in college. Yes. Otherwise, uh, (laughs) the reason they can't draft him while he's in ROTC because they would have to make him an officer premature. (laughs) So now he's got this extension, which doesn't work out. He graduates. I think, you know, now the military is like, hey, no, we're not in a war anymore, but we still want you. Yes. And I don't think he's exactly eager to go in. Is, is the story I've always heard. I don't know how exaggerated it is that he I also, had to send the law after yeah, him. Yeah, I heard that he actually got a job <laughs> teaching prior to going into the military. This is after, I guess this is after he would have been commissioned as an officer. And he was not going into the Army. <laughs> yeah. And then he gets in, and he's good at it. Yes. And stays for 30 years, 25 yes. years. So we come around, you know, what, six years after that you do? Yeah. After he's, come, he's come been pretty in. quick. So we don't, we don't know about any life outside of army bases. Yeah, we don't know pre, into the pre-army military. dad. Right. So I have no idea this guy who runs from the military. <laughs> I only know the guy who runs for the military yes. at that point. But he was never gun-ho. America, America, officer, officer. He wasn't like a lot of the other white officers that would listen to... Like, they got together at one point, got a group together, and went off to listen to Rush Limbaugh live. Hmm. He was never that kind of officer well being a black officer i think the experience was different because he it seemed like he always had other black officers yes. around him because yes. they they ended up becoming our godparents or yes. you know unofficial aunts and uncles mm-hmm. who we still keep in contact with with today and i know and this was after the military started to desegregate and i say that because i know one of the experiments they were doing was to put young black lieutenants 
in charge of predominantly black units. Mm-hmm. So there was still kind of this desegregation space that was was still occurring in the 70s when when our father went into the military. Okay. And that existed through the early part of his career. And you already were, know more than I did. They were working through that desegregation. <clears throat> so again, I think even that, him knowing that they were looking for a black officer to put in front of a black platoon with the thought that this is an experiment <laughs> in black leadership in the 70s also swayed how he viewed this country that he was fighting for. Hmm. And so I, I, I'd i say that puts us in, a, in a, you know, what being in the military, what being a service member meant. We knew that this was not a perfect institution as it's all often always painted. But I will say that growing up, I didn't experience anything that would lead me to believe that he felt any other way than those white officers. And, and what, because what, even, what do you mean? Even growing up, our house was, you know, completely like others, even down to the decorations. Mom always had an American flag at our houses. Yes, I, I'd say we were appropriately patriotic. Yes, absolutely. But I, I will also say I never remember dad's house looking like some of the other officers. So like it, the, the folks whose fathers were tank commanders would have like at their front door those shells from, yeah. you know, the tanks. Um well, I, I, there was a lot of reflected of what they did in the military. And I know dad was a quartermaster, so it's not like he was going to have a pot of beans or something. Out front. Or, and I know his specifically was fuel. Yes. Uh, but he was he was still in his stories. He was proud of, you know, going into places, making sure fuel was prepared, making sure that flights could get out, making sure that the logistics was, you know, he was proud of what he did in the military. Mm-hmm. He knew his mission kept people combat ready. He knew that there was no less safety in running convoys of fuel trucks through a war zone than any other infantry unit. It was not like it was any safer. So I think he was proud. He knew he was doing something that was still dangerous, but he didn't come home and make that part of his persona. No. You know, like there were no 18 wheeler camo trucks around the house or it was still very much just a family house as opposed to an officer's house. As, I, as much as I remember. Okay, yeah. I, and I guess I always assumed it was because he couldn't have anything because we would break it. <laughs> <laughs> now, that also may very much be true. So now we need some... Dad would come in with, you know, I guess, oh. quartermaster aluminum <laughs> statues. And, of course, we're going to play with it. Oh, man, it's a cool looking... <laughs> All right. And so that, that one's very specific. So he... Because he dealt with fuel. And so there mm-hmm. was this man made out of pipes. Yep. That he got for doing a good job being all, in the army. All of his awards had pipes on it of some, <laughs> some sort. Like I think one was like a faucet with the so, yes. wood mounted. Now that you're to, saying that, he could not have brought munitions <laughs> of any sort into that house with us. Oh, man. <laughs> so the reason the house may not have been decorated more army <laughs> is the danger of his children. And I think me specifically, because mm. uh, I was a very rambunctious yeah, child. Well, that and I think it, because... <laughs> He left a lot of the decorating up to mom. Um, That's true. I think other military families, the wives would pursue decorating the house based on their spouse's occupation and what he did for the military. But I think mom did a good job making our house a home and blackening up that home. Yes. Because we had black figurines all over that house. Black art posters of kings and queens of Africa. Yeah. Yadros. 
Now, this is taking us off. Okay. Because this this is kind of a, a description, a little bit of, of who but Dad was like, as an officer. Yeah, but I feel like this also is a, a background on who we are and how we came to be. I, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I'd say this is a very good expression of what it felt like being a military mm-hmm. brat and how it flavored our world. Um, I think it was a wonderful, wonderful life as a yes, military brat. I, yes, uh, I, I had hoped really to offer that same life to my child. I got into ROTC, got kicked out of ROTC, <laughs> went to another school, snuck into their ROTC, was too fat <laughs> at that point <laughs> to make it into the military and was never mm-hmm. able to actually get into the military myself. So I can say my parents did a good enough job that I honestly wanted to emulate them. Yes, yes. In my own life. Uh, yes, to an extent. I think I saw it as a oh crap, I'm about to graduate. I got to do something. So that's when I decided to take ROTC seriously. But I had already had two years under my belt in college um, because dad explained to me that you get a free math book and tutor with your MS1 and MS2 years. So it's worth it to be an ROTC for that. So I, I did take my MS1 and MS2 years and when I became a junior, reality started to hit and I actually seriously considered it as a, as an occupation. But by then the freshman 15 turned into the freshman 30 and I could not get it off. Even though I was in remedial PT, (laughs) PT is Monday, Wednesday and Friday. And I was in remedial PT on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So five days a week, five days a week. I was working to get off that freshman 30 and it is of course, physical training. Yes. And I was unable to get it off. So when it came time, they they told me after PT on a Friday, (laughs) wish they had told me before, but it said, you know, you're going to need to turn in your stuff. You're not going to be an officer. You're too tired to complain. They kicked me out after PT as well. You know what? That that makes sense. Too tired to complain because I I didn't give a a fight. It was like, all right. (laughs) All right. But I'm going to enjoy breakfast after this. Oh, breakfast after PT was amazing. <laughs> All right. So you think that's enough to cover? You want, you want to run to the next question? Background. Well, I would also like to mention that we are part of a trio. Uh, there are three of us. We're three three years apart. Mm-hmm. Darnell being the oldest. Um, three years between you and I. Yes. And six years. So three years between you and Sean. Six years between yes. Sean and I. I. I am the middle child, and, and we have a younger brother. So you are the bridge. So you kind of got to to spend time with both of us. I did. I did. I didn't really get to spend a lot of time with Sean until I came back to Franklin County as an adult. And he came back as a graduate. Yes. And that is a different Sean than the Sean that that we grew up with. Well, I'm discovering some things because when we were kids, I was out and I don't know what this kid was doing. I was out playing basketball in Granite City. Remember, we had a basketball court in the middle. Yep. I was out playing basketball and Sean was on rollerblades, skating and blowing <laughs> bubbles. <laughs> so right off the bat, that's a poor choice. So maybe I'm 14. So does that put Sean? Uh, eight, eight. Eight years old. So this is about right. And I see him fall over and dump the bubbles into his face. <laughs> so I go over, you know, that's your brother. So I go over to help him out, get him inside, clean him up. And years later, he's like, man, do you remember that time you poured bubbles in my face? I'm like, that is not what happened at all. 
I, I knew you was going to feel that way. I'd have left you up there. <laughs> you spent all these years oh, thinking I wouldn't put bubbles in your face. <laughs> that is hilarious. It is. I was like, man, there was too much a distance between he and I. <laughs> oh, what, where, where were we? I, I took this one off the rails. <laughs> uh, we're, we're talking about the trio, the three of we're us. Talking about the trio. Sean, who's in Minnesota right now. Yes. And has... has gotten in if, if you listen to the beta episodes if you listen to the practice episodes there's some of sean's voice mm-hmm. some of his description about living in minnesota and kind of the fact that he's not coming back yes franklin county not yes. not as a middle-aged person uh, elderly he might might make some room for it but but i but i also in his explanation it was about his coming back to franklin county would be equivalent to us moving to minnesota because his wife's family is deeply rooted into where he is now. Mm-hmm. Kind of like with us. Uh, my wife, you know, her family is maybe two hours away. Uh, it would be harder. Her sister lives 20, 30 minutes away. It'd be harder for us to leave. Yeah. I can see that. But not to say I won't. So, okay. Well, uh, since we're talking about family. How has our family's history of higher education impacted our worldview and expectations for ourselves and others? I think college was a given. Yes. Yes. Um, and and I, I really try and explain this to people now. Like, my kids do not think I'm a genius. You really? Know? No. I, mean, they, I think they think I'm smart. They respect me. Same way with dad. Like, when dad came in and got, like, cool runnings mixed up and was like, hey, let's put on that deck. The Jamaican cool. bobsled movie, that running cool. cool. <laughs> you know, your dad makes mistakes. Yes. Can't, can't program the VCR, and you're like, ha, 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 ha <clears throat> that guy. You know, uh, he went to college. Mm-hmm. If the guy that can't program the VCR went to college, they're okay. And I feel like my daughters are looking at me going, man, if the guy who has to hand me the Roku remote, you know, first off, knowing it's a fire stick and calling it a Roku remote, <laughs> and can't find the program he wants to watch, and he went to college, I can go to college. So I think living with someone who has a college degree demystifies it. It's not something for brilliant people. Okay, yeah, I agree. It's something for diligent people. Well, even even dad would always say that if I can go to college, anybody can go to college. Mm-hmm. So I, I think with that, also in our house, it was college was like high school. Um, all of us were expected to go to college. Yes. And even the bar has, has been set even higher where we're expected to have master's degrees. Me being the only one who doesn't have one, um, I feel like it it's something that needs to be accomplished because mom's still kind of like, hey, uh, you know, you when, to- when are you going to get that master's degree? <laughs> when are you going to grad school? Uh, grad school's easier. You, and you've started. So you've gotten some credits in. Uh, but life is the hardest part. Life is absolutely the hardest part of getting a master's degree because mm. life don't stop. I I agree, but I also still need to. I don't feel it's necessary for me. Hmm. I I don't see the benefit for me, but for my kids, I I fully stress the importance of education and. The, the need for a master's degree uh, because my daughter, Mariah, she wants to be a lawyer. So she's going to have to go to law school. Yes. 
um, with Brianna. She won't need it. Uh, she might not. If she, um, if she has a bachelor's of, of engineering or a bachelor's of uh, computer science. Yes. A master's degree is, is useless. Because we, we know you can over-educate in technical fields. Yes. Well, now, I guess in technical fields, certifications carry more weight than actual degrees. Certification and time on task. So if, if you spend two years getting a master's degree mm-hmm. when you could have spent two years building knowledge inside of a company, mm-hmm. you, you've lost out. So I, I think I agree with well, you. Well, even now, um, I'm finding there are ways around that. Uh, building a portfolio of, of, mm-hmm. of projects carry a lot of weight. Absolutely. But I think this goes back to that main question. Is recognizing the value of education doesn't limit it to master's degree because mm-hmm. you also have cert, uh, technical certificates that you earned after your bachelor's degree. Yes. Having your bachelor's <clears throat> degree, I think, put you in a place where you knew I can graduate. I can take classes I'm not comfortable with and still pass them. OK, so that's the same as a master's degree to me. You've got post bachelor education even if that post-bachelor education didn't require a bachelor's degree. Yes. But explaining to so- that to someone like our mother and our father. I don't know how that, you have to explain it. Like when you got the post grad, that post, uh, when you got that certificate and you roll up in a Tesla and I got two master's degree and I show up in a Chevy Cobalt, like, <laughs> I don't know how much explanation is necessary. I don't know. It, it, I'm telling you, it, it carries more weight in our family. The fact that you have, you know, do you have two master's degrees now? I do. <laughs> and, and working on a third, I, that carries more weight than a certificate. They, I, oh man, I, I think they still have a hard time wrapping their head around certifications. I, I can see that, and some of it is just the way the world has changed. Yes, uh, they but, I, they don't see that you can go out and teach yourself and get a certification. No, you have to be in a classroom. <laughs> you have to have a professor and you need a diploma and you have to walk across the stage. But, but you know, and I'm going to defend them a little bit. I think I think it goes one step further. They don't understand the work you're doing. So when okay. you get a master's degree, it's you can understand that you're getting specified, especially in, in what most of our families done, which is human service fields, mm-hmm. that you're getting specialized to navigate some problem. Mm-hmm. And you have done that in the technical field. But most of us don't know what the heck you do in the technical field. You know what I mean? So if you had a master's degree in whatever your field is, it wouldn't feel any different because we don't know the weight of either. Mm. And so some of it is just our expectations for for what you do for a living compared to what we have always done. And I think that's where that's where it gets difficult because it's just a shift in the world, man. Yeah. Dad will understand better. Because his early degree was in CTE, and no. so that, that's where my early, that's where my bachelor's and my first master's was in career and technical education. Okay, so this understanding of being educated for work mm-hmm. is the first thing. Well, I, I guess I, she should understand. Her brother is an engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he doesn't have a master's degree. No, uh, and I'm pretty sure that he has different certifications. He's got a PE. So he's got a professional engineer's license. Okay. So he got his got his bachelor's degree, got on the job, 
applied for the professional engineer's license, did the work that was required mm-hmm. to do that, earned the PE. And I, I'd say that's similar to what you've done mm-hmm. in the computer science field. But she would also not count his as a master's. Well, I, I always liked the line that he used um, when he explained his job. You know, somebody would say, I can do that. He'd say, yes, you probably could. But can he do it and get paid for it? <laughs> get paid for it. Uh, yes. Did he tell you the whole story when he was at the mechanic? No. And he So he was at the mechanic shop and the guy was working on it. And, you know, it was like, hey, you work on vehicles, too. He's like, kind of, you know, I design dashboards for heavy trucks. He was like, design dashboards? I could do that. And that's when he was like, yeah, but could you get paid for it? <laughs> uh, and I, I guess that's part of the freedom that mom and dad worry about in terms of earning that degree. Um, and I, I think that's just, it's just a shift in thinking. Like the more secure you are with those certifications, the more they're going to understand the value of it. And it just takes time to, to mm-hmm. create those shifts. But that puts us into a family of educators. Yes. One, limiting us, I think, as a whole to being in the fields of education. Now, also, uh, a little background on our family. Um, How many generations of college-educated people do we come from? Very unique. Are we the fifth generation? So, mom, grandma, and grandpa. Yep. And then grandpa's Mother. mother. So that puts us at four and your daughter now at five. Okay. But grand, great-grandma, grandfather's mother, uh-huh. got her bachelor degree around the same time that our grandfather did, hmm. which is something I didn't really realize until I looked at their degrees. So some of this was her being, I, I honestly, at that point, would have been a generation out of slavery. Wow. Just about. So she would have had parents who may have been at some point either enslaved or their parents. So it's it pretty close. She would have known someone enslaved. And so her son was going to colleges in some of in Livingstone, mm-hmm. which were somewhat new at this point, colleges for black people. And I guess they were also close to where they were. Close to where they were. He had joined the military. Uh, and after service in the military, was eligible to use the GI Bill at some colleges in Virginia. And one of the colleges he could use it at was Livingstone. And because Livingstone was close, mm-hmm. it made it it made college <clears throat> accessible for him. And that's the thin hair by which we are now fourth generation college educated. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a lot of happenstance. Fourth, close to fifth. Close to fifth. Because technically, our grandfather's grandmother was oh i don't know this well that's what you just said our grandfather's mother okay 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 mother okay our grandfather's mother also went to college they went to college about the same time okay all right Mm -hmm. so we do we have we have this educational history but we have an educational history that also produced a lot of educators (laughs) so it also very much emphasis on the educators well it limited and I, i put you in the same field and i know you were in the social work field but what you did for a living felt like what I did for a living, just specialized in a different way. Yes, because teaching scares me to death. <laughs> I could not be, imagine being in a room with 30 students and trying to keep their attention. Maybe it's because uh, my background was, was serving up 
individuals with uh, intellectual disabilities. Um, they would have run over me. <laughs> I <laughs> that that scared me to death. <laughs> oh, you, I don't know you. I think I think it, it it felt very similar. Okay. It felt it felt very similar. To, so to see you even break out of that, and then to encourage your daughter to break out of it, where she's now studying computer science and, and is going to be in that kind of engineering track. I think even Uncle Kevin having gone engineering mm-hmm. is something that as a family we kind of brag about. Like we've got an engineer in our family. And, so, and he produced two engineers and he produced himself. Two more engineers. <laughs> so I think we knew what education was expected, but there was still kind of sticking close to home mm-hmm. in terms of what we could be as educators. So it's really nice to see that it that mold broken. I think. Mm-hmm. Do you see any other expectations when it comes to education? Uh, besides the master's degree? Um, that one's sticking with you. You are going to yeah, have to get me. That's, that's not just mom speaking. Some of this is Brian speaking. It is. Uh, <laughs> what, else, what else we got? Um, as far as expectations? If you've got more expectations or if you want to run down the next okay. item. Okay. Uh, You're looking okay, for something what, good? What are some key moments or experiences in our lives that have shaped our understanding of ourselves and the world around us? Oh, gosh. You want to move backwards? Because I know COVID mm-hmm. is probably, you know, the reason we're sitting in front of microphones right now. Okay. I'd say, you know, beyond that, the election of Donald Trump was something that felt like a shift in the world. The election of Barack Obama felt like a shift in the world. Hmm. And see, I was going to go uh, even further back. Um, our upbringing, uh, the fact that, you know, us attending majority white schools and being able to interact with those people, mm-hmm. we were able to make friends with with everybody. Um, we would gravitate towards my other minorities. Mm hmm. But at the same time, we still were able to if if they weren't didn't have access to minorities, we were making friends with 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 whites and in, in, in the majority. And that feels so normal in this country that it's hard for me to, to look at that as something different. Mm-hmm. Like I've never really been in a place uh, except for college. Mm-hmm. When, we, when I went to Hampton University, when I went to Virginia State University, I've never been in a place where I was the majority. So that didn't feel like an impact as much as it felt like that's what America is, is you will always be a minority in this country. And so that, that's hard for me to even think of that as an impact because that's the normal route in this country. Well, I, I think that recently realizing that uh, those that I, I've made friends with grown up probably wouldn't like who I am now or wouldn't find me approachable because of the things that I believe in or choose to get behind, you know, black lives matter being one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a, living in rural Virginia. It is a very divisive subject. Um, most people write it off because they don't understand it. And just as easily as, as they're able to market as Marxism without even fully understanding Marxism, they I guess they don't want to get behind it. 
because they don't understand it. And and when they do that, I, I feel like they're saying they don't understand me or they're not willing to understand me because I am black and I am behind Black Lives Matter because it applies to how I live and, and experiences that I've gone through. The, the Black Lives Matter, that, that's an interesting one. Yeah. And I, I feel like a lot of, of, of the controversy that or things that I've, I've dealt with are surrounded around the Black Lives Matter movement. Because I feel like there's been a lot of defi- well, I guess also also with the election of Barack Obama, mm-hmm. um, it was it was not, a start. Not understanding why people disliked him so much, other than the fact that he was black. I I think that it's hard to tell what's racist. Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell if something is racist or if something just is. Did I get not get the job because I'm black? Did I not get the job because I'm not qualified? Yeah, I got you. Did I not get the job because they like somebody better? It, it's hard to tell where racism is. Mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter, just as a phrase, to me, feels like evidence of racism, of somebody who has prejudice. Because if somebody's not willing to say black lives matter, not are better, mm-hmm. you know, not are more important, they matter. You have something against black lives. Blacks hmm. living. And so when somebody, if I say, you know, black lives matter, and they go, well, white lives matter. Yes, they do. Do black lives matter? Hmm. Well, you know, all lives matter. Yes, they do. But only if black lives matter. Because that's part of all. And the people that really have trouble saying that out loud, I think the reason they have trouble saying it is because they don't believe it. Black lives do not matter to some people. Mm. And that has been the easiest point for me to be able to tell lately. People who won't say it. We're at the 30-minute mark. Um, So this is an official episode. Okay. Do you want to close this one out? We probably should. uh, But also, Black Lives Matter will be brought up in future episodes. Okay. Do we want... I think we're going to get another episode here. Okay. And so, you know, if, if you're listening, this is probably going to be four days later. You're going to hit this next episode. Uh, full work day, so it'll be a full week. Yeah, you got another week to the next one. But in this next episode, if we could tease in, are we going to hit a couple more questions or are we going to hit a new topic? Um, I, I think we still need to go into, uh, you know, a little bit of our background. Okay, so we're uh, going to hit more, more of who we are. Yeah, uh, let's, let's talk about uh, navigating majority white schools. Okay. As an African American. Okay. What was it like going to school in very, in, in being a minority in a yeah. white school? Yes. Cause, and cause, so, cause both of us made a big transition mm-hmm. from going to attending all, you know, majority white schools, K through 12 to, so, to attending an HBCU. I'm going to suggest as we close this episode out, mm-hmm. shout out the schools that you attended to prior to attending an HBCU. Oh, like I just started Britt David Elementary. Oh gosh! If I need to in Georgia. Okay. After Britt David Elementary. Well, there, I, man, there was before that. I'm going just going to the ones I can remember. Zweibrücken Elementary. Oh, good job! I also attended Zweibrücken Elementary in Germany, which was on an army base. Britt David. Britt David um, in Georgia. I went to Prather Elementary. You were in. At that point, I was at Coolidge 
junior high okay. in Granite City, Illinois. And then I attended Coolidge Junior High while you were at Granite City High School. Okay. And then from Granite City High School, I went to Carlisle High School. And I was at Lamberton Middle School in Carlisle and then attended. Now here you went to Petersburg. Yes. I went to Prince George High School. Prince George High School was it predominantly white. I had to think. You had to think about. It. I do have. So to it's think at about least somewhat one. mixed. So now we're we're in this Richmond area that just the whole Richmond area is more diverse, even in ninety eight ninety nine. I have to go back and look at the year. I feel like it it was more diverse, but I still feel like it was a majority school. I think it was. Was I, I have a feeling you were still in the minority, but you would have had students there who were. Hispanic students yes, there who yes. were, all right. So at that point, I was at Franklin County High School. This was 1997. Mm-hmm. And we went back. The, the black students came back for like our 10-year reunion and we're flipping through the yearbook. Couldn't find a Hispanic student. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, I, for, I forgot two schools. Okay. <laughs> also attended Fishing Creek Elementary in Pennsylvania while you were at Benjamin Franklin Middle School. That's right. I attended uh, Franklin. And I actually went to two schools that year, uh, Fishing Creek and I attended... Uh, Rocky Mountain Elementary in Franklin County for half a year. Did you ever go to Lee Wade? I didn't. Sean went to Lee Wade. Oh, man. Um, that was when they split up the elementary schools. Uh, Lee Wade was first through third, and Rocky Mountain Elementary was fourth through fifth. Okay. So if you've been to any of those elementary schools, the next episode, or high schools, the next episode, you're going to hear about. Yes. Down like ice, and if we could listen, we 
Like an old stage curtain on 